0: It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes, right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is E.J. Copperman, who is the nom de plume for Jeff Cohen, a writer of international and intentional funny murder mysteries his latest book ukulele of death is the first in a new series and is published by Severn house well, thanks for being here jeff ej uh, how are you today i'm good i'm good thanks for inviting me i appreciate it no problem at all i understand that you've got a, a new book out and a new series starting with ukulele of death and uh, i was hoping we might be able to talk more about it
2: I'm always happy to do that. Um, ukulele death is the is the first book in the Get Ready. Fran and Ken Stein, think about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Mystery series, um, which features two investigators who, to my mind, are must certainly be unique. Um, they weren't so much born as they were created. Um, okay a little bit of mary Shelley going on in there but not as much as one might believe um and uh they were (laughs) their parents left when they were very small children because they were afraid for their children's security their parents being the people who put them together okay Um, and they grew up with that kind of hanging over them and uh decided that what they would do is open a, uh, an investigation agency that specializes in helping uh, people who are adopted find their birth parents if they want to. Mm. Uh, so their first case in ukulele of death is uh, a woman comes to their office, says she wants to find her birth father, and the best way that she can think of to locate him would be to track down this rare ukulele that he, was, that he had in his collection. And so things, you know, go
1: terribly wrong from there. Of course, because they have to; otherwise, you wouldn't exactly. Otherwise,
2: it's a three-page book. You know, (laughs) nothing to it.
1: Exactly right, and it seems to me that in looking over the rest of your career, you like to tell stories that have definitely a lighter aspect to them than somebody uh, than a lot of other people uh, tend to write. And I was wondering, what draws you to that kind of a story? Uh, that's that's my aim. That's always been my aim. It, it's
2: I tend to write comedies that have a mystery in them rather than the other way around. Right. Um, because I can get depressed on my own. I don't need help. Right. Um, so I figure that there must be some other people out there who want to read a book that isn't necessarily going to, you know, send them into a spin for three weeks. Um, so that's what I do. That's my end of the pool. You know, I try and make you laugh as much as I possibly can, mm-hmm. um, while still telling you know, a plausible, well, sort of plausible story, um, you know, that has the usual twists and turns of a, of a mystery story and has the, uh, the question hanging over it, who did what and why did they do it. Um, and that's really how I operate. I'm, I'm usually thinking more about how can this be funny?
1: Right, right, and it can still be funny without losing any of the core and essential aspects of what a mystery truly is, right? Exactly, that's the
2: idea. Um, if, the, if the mystery doesn't hold the reader's attention, it kind of doesn't matter how funny it is. On the other hand, if the mystery is all there is, it's not doing what I want it to do. Right. I mean, you know i'm i'm looking to to lighten up your day a little bit
1: right and and you're very clear about that when you whenever somebody takes a look at your work or reads the back of the cover or the description on amazon you're not fooling anybody here but there's also a certain amount of seriousness about it like because you st- you tell a very good story and you tell a, a consistent story that i think has resonated with a lot of readers
2: thank you um, <clears throat> yeah i mean it, it always was about, you know, why do, why write a mystery story when you can write a comical novel, you know, Right. what they would call literary fiction, um, which is a stupid term, by the way, but let's go move on from there. <laughs> um, exactly right. Literary fiction, as opposed to what I write, which is illiterate fiction. I, I don't know. But, um,
1: <laughs> or a serious novel. When, a serious no, novel. It's, that's, right. Yeah.
2: You know, oh, man. Is, is that the... the tone of death for you you know the serious novel oh boy people yeah, the window a... and thinking about their lives
1: i can't wait right right um, yeah i know i've gotten that a lot too where people say oh do you, are you ever going to write a real novel as opposed to a <laughs> mystery or a crime like, hell with you you know and I, I say i'm a little more forceful than that but yeah i i get that a lot too so I, well um, i tend to
2: pick up the book and go looks real to me <laughs> um, <laughs> you know there it is it exists what do you want That's right. Um,
1: Yeah,
2: you know, but people do have that attitude. There's a certain, um, sometimes subtle, sometimes not that subtle, sort of condescending attitude to uh, to what you and I do, Mm -hmm. Um, and particularly to what I do, because not only am I writing genre fiction, but I'm writing funny genre fiction, and that means that, like, you know, I it always makes me a little bit crazy when people say that the humor is effortless. Like you should have been there when I was writing it.
1: Yeah, humor is never effortless. It's never um, effortless. I forget who it was who said that it's, as, and it was a comedian who said it, being serious. He said the essence of, of comedy is pointing out the shortest point between point A and point B that is obvious, but no one saw it before. Exactly. So, exactly. and that's not easy to do. You have to pay a lot of attention in order to see those connections, don't you?
0: Yeah, you do.
1: And it, it, it's more kind of baffling to me
2: that more people don't pay that much attention, that people are just mm-hmm. kind of cruising through their lives and not noticing things, you know. And I was one of the first books way back when, you know, the dinosaur age, um, I wrote a line about some, somebody was flying into Los Angeles and they said that, you know, the narrator, whoever it was at the time, said that it was a little disconcerting to go through security in an, in an airport where everything is labeled lax. <laughs> and I thought, how come nobody sees that? You know, I see it, I, other people must. It's not like I'm a genius. right? There has to be some, you know, there's some disconnect. There's, people are paying attention to other stuff. It's not necessarily wrong. I'm not necessarily, like, you know, noticing all the stuff that, like, everybody else should and they're not. Right. Um, It just surprises me sometimes.
1: Yeah, it it does. And and people take things, like, they'll see that LAX sign, and and they'll just be, they'll see the, the structure itself and not pay attention to what the letters are. And that's why your work works so well, is because you see that, that other people have missed, and you just highlight it. And then, if they get it, you're then you know that they'll get you for the rest of the book. One can only hope. One can only hope is right. Now, how do you, you know, the one thing that I, I've written in a bunch of different genres, but I have always had, tried to have at least a little dark humor in my books, but I'm not really good about having the, the overtly humorous stuff. How do you approach it? Like, as you add comedic elements to it. How do you approach, uh, do, you, do you come up with the funny situation first or does it kind of come to you as you're crafting the whole story? Knowing that humor is, is the benchmark of what you're going to be going for.
0: Well,
2: I mean, I think crafting is probably a push. Um, I'm, you know, I'm what they call a panther. I, I start with a premise and see where it goes. Um So it's not like I I don't have pre-planned jokes that I want to use or anything like that. Um, But I think the key is to not have a funny premise and not have a funny situation necessarily. Um, I mean, sometimes you do that, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. It's more about, I tend to write in first person. I don't do it all the time, but I tend to write in first person. And when the narrator notices something and points it out, that's kind of where the joke comes from. Um, mm-hmm. It's their attitude, it's their point of view. Um, and so it's the humor in my mind comes more from the reaction to the plot than from the plot itself. I think if you start trying to make up, you know, wacky murders, right. um, you're gonna have a problem.
1: Um, right, because you're
2: right Some writers, that. I know some writers who have done it and, and mm-hmm. some of them have done it very successfully. I can't do that. I to me, that's too serious a situation to, you know, make light of.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
2: one of the things you can do is to make sure, and I don't do this all the time. I do it sometimes, is to make sure that the person who gets murdered is somebody that no one likes. Right. And so then you can trash them all you want.
0: <laughs>
2: um, you know, but if it's some, you know, I mean, I wouldn't do it. But if you know, you kill off a six-year-old child or something like that. There's no room for jokes there. Right. So, you know, so I will I will veer away from that sort of thing.
1: Right. But and then that's the, the skill that you need to have to be able to go for the laugh at the right time and not pull the um the audience out of the story because once that happens, you lose them.
0: Exactly. It's,
1: it's really tough, you know. It, it's um humor is an awful lot like cilantro, a little bit. Will help flavor the um, the dish that you're making, but too much of it will spoil it. When all you hear you taste is cilantro.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you you have to have something to hang the humor on. There has mm-hmm. to be a, a skeleton of something that right. you can dress up. Um, you know, if you're just, I mean, I couldn't sit here and write you an eighty thousand word stand up comedy routine. You know. I couldn't right. I couldn't write you a 1000 word stand-up comedy routine. Um, but I can write a story and look for the places where it can be funny. Right? Or at least where the where the characters reaction
1: can be funny. And where the potential for humor is that uh, isn't too jarring.
2: Yeah, I I'm not too worried about that. I I find that um you know, a lot of a lot of stand-up comics will say that um there's nothing you can't joke about, right? And that's true up to a point, um, but I tend to let the situation take care of itself, and I'll while I'm writing it, I'll find stuff that I think is funny,
1: and right, and, yeah, that. and especially too because I would imagine stand-up comedy is a lot different than uh, what you're doing, which is something that's going to be permanent and which is going to have to reach a bunch of different audiences whereas a comedian if he reads the room the right way might be able to uh you know adapt their uh sketch on the fly or their bit on the fly you can't do that you're you're when you put it no, down it's printed
2: that's there yeah the the ink stays right there on the page um yeah, yeah i mean up to a point that's true it, it you know you can't say, well, what I do is going to last forever, and what a uh, you know a comedian does is you know kind of ephemeral. Um, you can't tell me that twenty years from now people aren't still going to be watching George Carlin specials, right? Because um, you know he really crafted it; he really knew you know exactly how to put something together that was going to be funny, but was also going to have a point. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm not that great at having a point. um i try i do i i put an attempt in there generally speaking um you know what what english professors would call a theme um tends to happen in during the process it's not like i sit down the first day and go well today i'm going to write about you know you know ecological protest um you know that's not where i'm going i come up with a story idea I'm an entertainer first. That's my job. And if I don't keep you engaged and keep you wanting to turn pages, it doesn't matter how brilliant my point is because you're not going to read it. Right. So my job is to keep you going. And that's, you know, that's always the first, um, you know, priority. Um, It is. Story, obviously, is important. You know, you can't have a book without one. Yeah um, a good I book anyway. <laughs> Not a good book. Um, yeah. but um but I find usually that when I'm about you know a third to a halfway through the manuscript, it will occur to me that I'm writing about something larger than just like who did what. Right. Um and that's and so you can go in that direction at that point. You can't I other people can, I can't plan that. Um I just you know kind of have it uh i wait for it until it happens now in a series because I, I tend to write series rather
1: than standalone books right that um, was going to be my next question about the, oh go your, ahead the series work no that was it no go ahead you're, you're going right there <laughs> um when you write
2: series the series can have an overarching uh theme to it for me the the fran and ken books are about dealing with the idea that you're different. And how you cope with that and what, you know, defense mechanisms you build up because you're different. And what does it mean to be different? And what does it mean to then why should you care if you're different? And isn't everybody different? Do you know anybody who's the same? I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody's an individual. That makes you different um so that's kind of what the series is going to be about I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way through the second book in the series right now so uh so i'm finding that that's becoming a little bit more prevalent
1: yeah, yeah i'm sure it does yeah because as you write a, a book and much less a series the overarching theme as you mentioned earlier it does kind of present itself and it doesn't necessarily have to be there in the first book it can grow once you start getting to know the characters well and the audience gets to know them well, right along with you.
2: Yeah, I mean, there should at least be hints of it in the first book. You can't have a first book that stands out from all the rest because it doesn't have that in it. Um, But I think you tend to find it in the first book. You tend to find it when you're writing the first book and go, oh, this is really about that.
1: Yeah, by the time I've reached any of the first books and books that became ultimately series, That's happened to me. There's always a kernel of something that sticks with me after that first book, and I think, you know what? I can draw this out a little bit more, show you a little bit more about what happened, and give uh, rationalizations. That's something I I learned early on in my career. I was wondering, um, you've got Ukulele of Death now, and I know you said you're working on the second in that series Mm -hmm. i was wondering what are you uh do you have anything that's going to be coming out between now and the next time that you finish that uh, next book in the uh, series yes
2: actually i do um in november uh this year uh the fifth book in the uh, jersey girl legal series is coming Mm -hmm. out uh that one's called my cousin skinny and uh (laughs) yeah we had some fun um all the books in that series have have names that play with um kind of courtroom dramas you know like in movies generally speaking right. um so i had fun with that i'm starting to run out of them now so i'm a little worried about what the next one's going to be
1: i can imagine yeah because did you have have witness for the persecution
2: witness for the persecution
1: uh right.
2: judgment at santa monica uh and justice for <laughs> all and inherit the shoes that was the first
1: (laughs) i noticed that when i looked on your website i said okay i get this this is uh these are clever clever uh titles it was fantastic I really yeah but i think i'm running out of gas it's hard i know you got to come up with something else and you certainly can't go for any of the one word titles like psycho or jaws or something you can't do anything with that no
2: no i you know
0: well well, who
1: knew there were going to be six books i didn't know and God bless you. You know what? Well, the train is going, you stay on board. and
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't exactly. get off the train.
1: No, 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 no. As long as they keep asking for them, you can keep writing them. How long does it typically take you to write a book? Uh, is it, does it depend on the series or do you have
0: a. No, no, like, it's, like it's pretty over much 100?
2: routine. Um, I write a thousand words a day. Okay. So. So an 80,000 word book is going to take you, you know, give or take, because there's going to be rewrites and whatever. It'll take me about three months. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. There was a time, not horribly long ago, a number of years ago, um, where I had four series going at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was writing four books a year. So there would be times when I was writing two books at the same time.
1: Um, and just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it, right? Well, yeah
0: that's and what you happened have um,
2: but <laughs> I, I kind of liked it I liked having more than one thing to work on at the same time because then if you run into a wall on one you can switch to the other right you know and you know kind of get your your wind back and then you can go back to what you're working on before and go oh yeah now I see how I can fix that
1: right yeah and it, it's a mixed blessing too because the last two years I've been on a on a roll like that and you know, on one hand, I'm fortunate and blessed that I'm able to do it, but on the creative process side, two years of five books a year, that's, you get through a little just bit, a bit. Yeah, it does. And it's, um, you know, as much as you love the characters, I know for me, it was kind of, I need to take a break. So I wrote a short story and that kind of refreshed the uh, the, the the creative palette. Do you do anything that refreshes your creative palette after a particularly prolific streak? Yeah, you know, I watch baseball.
0: Um, okay
2: uh i that takes my mind off of virtually everything because i can sit there and concentrate on what's going on and think about strategy and who's what and who's doing where um i i find it to be a very um kind of cleansing intellectual process to watch a baseball game yeah Uh, but I mean, I, I have written short stories. I, it's not something that I do on a regular basis. Um, generally speaking, the short stories that I've written have been um, attached to one of my book series. Right. You know, particularly if, if the series ended before I wanted it to, I'll write something that kind of ties up the loose ends. Um, mm-hmm. And I have some friends at Alfred Hitchcock Magazine who will, you know, take a look at it and go, yeah, okay, we can do that. Right. Uh, In fact, I have one of those coming out at the end of this year. I forget what month, but, you know, somewhere.
1: Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the people, you know, if if you're not in the mood for a a book or you don't know if you're going to start a new series or something, but you still want to read something, the Alfred Hitchcock and the Ellery Queen magazines are a great place because they've got really good short fiction. They're really tough to get into. So for Jeff to be able to be featured in there a few times, that's telling you something, everybody, because- that's not an easy feat to do.
2: Well, they know I'm not going to come to them every month and go, I got something new, you know, like, let's try <laughs> right. this. This will be like my third or fourth one, I think, over the last, you know, 15 years. So, uh, right. you know, we're okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, as new things come up for you, how can people follow you on social media?
2: Uh, I'm on Twitter as EJ Cop. Mm-hmm. Um I'm also there as Jeff Cohen Writer. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Don't ask me like what the tag <laughs> is on that one. Uh, just look for my name. And if it looks like me, then yeah, that's it. Um, and I, you know, obviously there's a, there's the webpage. There's www.ejcopperman.com. Right. Um, and It's not Cooperman. So like, make sure that you get it right. Cause a lot of people don't. Um, yeah,
1: because I'm the idiot who didn't get it right. No, you're hardly <laughs> an idiot.
2: This happens all the time. I've I've often thought that I should have made it Cooperman to begin with, and then people would write Copperman. You know, it would work out. Um. So there's that. And I'm trying to think if there's anything. I'm on Instagram, but I look at it like once every three months. So like you know, don't worry too much about that.
1: I know. Uh, yeah, Instagram is one of those things I had never really latched on. I've I'm a, I have a presence there, but I agree with you.
2: I'm too old, man. That's the thing. I, I'm too old. I'm too old for that. I'm too old for TikTok, get in real with TikTok. Right. Um, I kind of look at it every once in a while and go, OK, um, <laughs> you know. I, I get mean, it, it's but fine. it's not for me. It's fine. It's, it's not aimed at me, and that's OK. You know, I mean, lots of stuff is not aimed at me. And I'm, you know, getting by. Yeah. Um, so that was, those are the places you can look. Um, There are probably others that I'm not thinking of because, you know, like, why would I do that?
1: But Um, then they go to your website and they'll find them all, right? If they go to the website, they'll find them. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. And I know my audience learned a lot from you.
2: Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm really very honored.
1: No, no problem at all. And this has been another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to stop by BestLittleBooks.com for the best thrillers and giveaways in the business. Bestthrillerbooks.com. We'll see you next time, everybody.
0: You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.